Welcome to the Audit 15 Fun Podcast. My goal with this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table at least every 15 days. Today, we're going to be talking about deep listening. And to talk about that topic, I have Oscar Trimboli as my guest. Oscar is an author, host of the Apple award-winning podcast, Deep Listening, and a sought-after keynote speaker. He's passionate about using gift of listening to bring positive change in homes, workplaces, and cultures worldwide. Through his work with chairs, board of directors, and executive teams, Oscar has experienced firsthand the transformational impact leaders can have when they listen beyond words. He's a marketing and technology industry veteran, working for Microsoft, PeopleSoft, Polycom, and Vodafone. He consults with organizations including American Express, Cisco, Google, HSBC, PwC, Salesforce, and SAP, among many others. He's the author of How to Listen, Discover the Hidden Key to Better Communication, the most comprehensive book about listening in the workplace. Deep Listening, Impact Beyond Words, and Breakthroughs, How to Confront Assumptions. Welcome to the podcast, Oscar. It is an honor to have you on. G'day, John. Looking forward to listening to your questions and hopefully we can create a different perspective when it comes to listening for internal audit. Absolutely. So there is, let's, let's start with the basics of where most of the challenge is, uh, when people are listening to others and you have a, a rule out there that you, I've seen you mention it's the 125, 400 rule. Can you explain? To those who are not familiar with it, what this rule is. Yeah, most of us aren't aware of the art and the science of listening, but given we're talking internal audit, maybe we'll focus on the numbers to start off with. 125 and 400 is the differential between somebody's speaking speed, 125 words per minute, and your listening speed, 400 words per minute. So you can listen effectively four times faster than I can speak. And if you want to test it out, just speed up the podcast to 1.5 speed and you'll still be able to retain comprehension. We know that vision impaired people can listen up to three times speed and retain complete comprehension. So with this differential between the speaker's capacity to express an idea at 125 words per minute, you listen much faster than I can speak. You jump ahead. You anticipate, you judge, you make assumptions while you're waiting for the speaker's words to catch up to your listening speed. Now there is another bit of neuroscience I want to make you aware of. It's worse for the speaker. The speaker can speak at 125 words per minute, yet they can think at 900 words per minute. So there's a differential of nine times in the speaking speed of the speaker and their thinking speed. So that means that the very first thing that they say typically is roughly 14% of what they're thinking. So now we have this, uh, simultaneous equation going on with massive differentials. We have your ability to listen faster than they can speak. And I'm speaking much slower than I could think. And if we just have a conversation about the first 14% of what we say, we're really not having a conversation about what matters. We're not exposing any conditions of 
models, around pricing, uh, external conditions that could impact the way a policy is interpreted or the likelihood that uh, a scenario may play out that's unanticipated. So when it comes to most conversations around listening, when people know there's a difference between your listening speed and my speaking speed, you know, you're distracted. In fact, whatever you're doing right now, hello, welcome back. <laughs> uh, it's great to have you back. I know you're probably thinking about something else altogether. So today focus, not only on what I'm saying, focus on how I'm saying it as well. So do I speak in stories or statistics? Do I speak in the past or the present or the future? Do I speak in relative terms or absolute terms? And how do I relate to an issue? Do I talk about it in a negative problem orientation or do I talk about it in a solution orientation as well? So while you've got those spare extra 300 words per minute available to you start to listen to how I say it, not just what I say today as well. So John, as you hear me go, the 125 rule is a difference between my speaking speed and your listening speed. What was going on while you were listening to my explanation from your perspective? <laughs> that is a great question. <laughs> I, I was thinking about, I was listening to your points and trying to Think about how can I, you know, have a follow-up question. So you had really great points about how you're telling the story. Is it, is it a story that you're telling? You know, is it the statistics? Are you, are you presenting a problem? Like, are you more solution oriented? I think those are great points. <laughs> so, you know, and to, and to think about that rule. So as you're jumping yeah. ahead. Yes, I, I was, I, I was jumping ahead. jumping ahead. Yes. How, how do I anticipate the yes. next yes. question, yes. right? To be fair, I was. And, and this is quite common because imagine, imagine you're the internal auditor and, and I'm the business person that you're speaking to. This is going to be a quite a common scenario where you, where you do jump ahead. And one, one of the things we want to be clear about is sometimes to save yourself from jumping ahead. Just jot down a word, maybe a sentence, but definitely not a paragraph or verbatim as you're in dialogue with a person. So note-taking can be your friend, but it also can be your foe when it comes to taking a brief or engaging with the business. And be careful about the kinds of notes you take because the notes themselves may become distracting as well. When I spoke to world memory champion, Boris Conrad, can you believe they have Olympics for memory? <laughs> I, I didn't understand it at first. He's got two things in his favor, his German and he's a neuroscientist and he, he can remember very complex concepts. And he always say in the workplace, jot down the primary theme every one to two minutes, capture just one word, every two to five minutes, capture a paragraph or a diagram. And, and the diagram needs to be understood by you at the end of the day, unless it becomes a shared artifact at some point in time. So the listening and note-taking, uh, are, are very close cousins. And what it does is it gives your mind a break where you capture that idea. It might've been the next question you wanted to ask me, John, 
and then you can come back into the conversation and just listen to what the person is saying. So I'm sure the audience is really curious. What's the next question you were thinking? Yeah, about? no, yes. I, I, I kind of wanted to go back to the 125, 400 rule and I'll, I'll, and I'll go back to it, but yes, great points yeah. the note taking. I think that that is a great takeaway for auditors because auditors are routinely taking notes and listening to people and understanding processes. So that's a great, great story there from, uh, our, our German neuroscientist friend there. <laughs> um, so going back to the 125, 400 rule. So how do you, what is, what is a breath best practice to bridge the gap? Not only when you're listening. So how can, as the listener, how can I slow down and be like, okay, I'm going to be fully present and pay attention to this. And then on the flip side, if I'm delivering a message, how can I make sure that the listener the person that I'm talking to will actually pay attention to my message. Cause those are things that internal auditors do on a routine basis. They listen and then, you know, they, they have mm. recommendations to present or so forth. And so how do you, how do you, how do you bridge the gap in both scenarios? Okay. So really good example here of when you ask two questions, um, it's it, the, the, the speaker, me right now is going through my mind is, okay, does John want to connect those two stories together or does he want to deal with them separately? And in which order would he like to discuss them in? And we don't have this dialogue when somebody poses a, a double barrel question, a twin question, which you have done. Now that's not to say it's right or wrong. But it's incumbent on the speaker at this point to say, John, which one of those two should we discuss first? Um, how about we discuss how, how can internal auditors listen better? Cause I think that's the, that's one of their primary functions is to listen and understand. Mm. And the point I'm trying to make here is, but. Uh, most people focus on the what in communication, the question in this context is, is what's driving the conversation, but we don't discuss how to have the conversation. And particularly if you're dealing with a conversation around complex procedures, I, I, I think it's important to have a conversation about how you want to communicate beforehand, rather than only just asking the questions. So today, my role is to understand the process from beginning to end. We might break it down into three steps. Um, does that make sense to you? So we haven't even discussed the content, but we get there. So to your question, John, when we think about the 125, 400 rule, it's saying you have peripheral vision, but you also have peripheral hearing. So our neurology is coded for us to be aware of multiple sounds and to be sensing other things. The 125-400 rule, just the knowledge that you know there's a differential between your speaking speed and your capacity to listen, it is liberating in itself because it says to you, it's okay to be distracted. Now, the knowledge that you know you will be distracted as a consciousness, as an awareness, liberates your energy very quickly. When you know this rule, you don't drift away for longer. 
you don't move into the next question for an extended period of time. You just go, oh, I just did that. Time to get back into the conversation. So number one, the knowledge of the 125-400 rule often helps people to stay present in the conversation because they know that they will be distracted. Now, I want to provide three very simple tips that are easy to say, but difficult to practice to prepare yourself because listening happens before, during, and after the conversation. Most people think listening only happens in that moment where the dialogue is present. So before you arrive at the conversation, number one, manage your electronic notifications, no matter whether you're meeting somebody face-to-face -face or in a video conference, use the technology. Don't let it use you. Too many of us just default the notifications on our mobile devices, our, our, our iPads, our, our computers to allow the notifications to set to the default mode. Now, no matter whether you use windows, uh, Apple, Android, there is one button in all those operating systems that you can just move across that says stop notifications. Still, you can perform your function. You can still access whatever software you need for the purpose of the audit, but manage that technology. Don't let it manage you. The psychology of those notifications is very well known to me as someone who used to work at Microsoft. I know the fundamental research to capture your attention was based on research done by the slot machine industry in Las Vegas. How do I keep somebody keeping on putting money into the slot machine? And I can keep their attention and reward them, but distract them so that they're not doing it consciously. So my point is really simple. Be conscious. And one of the first rituals you'll want to set up is the ritual of managing your notifications. If you want to go for bonus points, all of those operating systems can connect to your calendar and go, when I'm in a meeting, switch off my notifications automatically. So you use the technology in your favor, not the default. Tip number two, drink a glass of water before you go into a conversation and drink a glass of water every 30 minutes in a conversation. Uh, the act of drinking water is hydration. Our hydrated brain is a listening brain. Our blood sugars in our body, the, our brain is only 5% of body mass, but it consumes 26% of blood sugars and, and a Starbucks coffee does not count as hydration. <laughs> so if you do drink coffee, you'll, you'll have to drink an extra glass of water. The other thing it will do, it'll give you a reset point for your attention. When you're drifting away, just drink a glass of water. Not, not the whole lot. Maybe just take a sip. You go, oh, I got distracted. Touch the glass, have a sip. That will be a way to reset your attention. So tip number two, a glass of water before you get into a conversation and every half an hour, by the way, if you're in a physical environment and you're hosting the meeting with these people, encourage just the act of you drinking water will encourage them to drink water. So make sure there's always a jug of water present and glasses of water for anybody that you're conducting, uh, your audits with as well. And then tip number three three deep breaths before every conversation. Just below your chest is a part of the body known as the parasympathetic nervous system. This part of the nervous system that says to you, everything's going to be okay, John. If you can control that, which Olympic athletes do, opera singers, 
military snipers all use breathing techniques to center themselves in the conversation. So if you're getting distracted right now, just take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. Now, those three tips, they're so easy to do, but they're very hard to practice consistently. And what we know from our deep listening research database, we're tracking 1,410 listeners, 86% of people say they are distracted by electronic notifications. The people who are the better listeners over the time are the ones that simply move that notification off in a conversation because then you are present and available to notice when you get distracted, when you jump to judgment, when you try and solve, when you try and anticipate during a conversation. So which one of those three tips do you think will be easy for you to do, John? Easy for me to do. I, I think the first one definitely resonated the most because I can think of so many meetings that I attended that people have their laptop open and it's kind of hard to tell if people are really paying attention to what's being said. So that one, I will remember after our conversation here. And I think the, the second and the third just makes sense. And, and a really powerful way for you to role model that back to the group, John, is when you arrive at the meeting and if you're hosting the meeting, you can signal to the group and simply say this, this meeting is really important to me and the organization. Just bear with me for a moment. I'm just going to switch my notifications off. And by you saying that out aloud, at least half the room will reciprocate. There you go. Another great tip, you know. So you're not only being a great listener yourself, you're creating a great listening environment in the meeting room. Unfortunately, I'm completely guilty of selling the technology in the past that, uh, pops up all the notifications on your screen. Yeah, it's an interesting note about the research being done by Microsoft there. Um, going back to something that you said, uh, in the previous answer about the what and the how, right? The, the, this is a common occurrence for internal auditors too, because they have to go in and they have to understand the process, but sometimes people who are answering I would say providing explanations, they focus too much on the what, on what's being done because it's kind of second nature to them, not so much the how of being done, the step-by-step -step process. How can internal auditors frame questions or kind of direct those people that they're interviewing to be more focus on the how versus the what. So number one is again, listening happens before the meeting. So rather than think about the moment you arrive in the conversation with the business partner, you should be thinking about some method of communication in advance of the meeting that says the purpose of the meeting is this, we need to understand one, two, or three. Now we're not immediately discussing the how in that moment, but what we are signaling to the business partner is, I want you to think about this before you arrive at the meeting. If you just turn up and say, Hey, um, okay, explain the process to, uh, ensure that our cybersecurity posture is in place. And what do we do if it's not? Uh, they're going to give you an explanation straight away. They're going to give you a fire hose explanation of whatever's top of mind for them, as opposed to a piece of communication they receive roughly a week in advance from the internal auditor. 
We're looking forward to understanding the policy around cybersecurity. There are three clear things we want to understand, the implications of our cybersecurity posture as it relates to our staff and their training, to our external suppliers who have access to our systems, and what scenarios you've anticipated that we might consider unexpected and how that's implemented in the policy. Okay, pretty simple. Three things for them to think about. Now they have a structure to come into the conversation with. Okay, they want to know from the staff perspective, the supplies perspective, and the unexpected perspective. If you don't send that message out in advance, all they're going to do when you ask the first question is they take a deep breath in and like a machine gun, they're just going to fire bullets at you with the stories because they, they, they want to be as honest with you as possible. They want to get all the information out as possible. Look, last week we had this and the policy changed back in 2000 and X and we had to change around that and we've struggled to get that fully adopted by all the staff, but we're aware of those issues. And as a result, we've made some changes in the compensation and the way compliance works for manager um, annual performance reviews. So these are all the things we've done, John, to ensure that we have a great cyber posture. Now, have you got any questions? <laughs> As opposed to when we arrive at the conversation, the very first thing you talk about is, hey, great to see you. Today, we're going to talk about the three things we sent out in that early communication. Our primary orientation is we want to spend 80% of the time talking about staff and supplies, and we want to spend 20% of the time talking about unexpected threats. So you've already set a framing for them. Mm -hmm. When we talk about staff, we want to talk about three things. It could be uh, rewards, it could be compliance, it doesn't matter what it is, but you set it up. And when we talk about supplies, we want to talk about these three things. Now, the reason you want to set up a frame is to relax them, just to explain it in a way that is structured because you, you aren't an expert in whatever they do. And the reason you want them to do this is not for what they say, although that's really, really important. It's what they don't say that matters most. Remember the 125, 900 rule. The first thing they say, is not necessarily all they're thinking. We want to explore that. So I want to zoom you into a room where I was working with an insurance company in life insurance. So they have very complex pricing rules and we have actuaries in the room who deal with very complicated decisions, formula about life expectancy, premiums, the costs associated with that distribution. And then we also have the salespeople in the room who are trying to sell these products. Salespeople are saying the product's too expensive and the actuaries are saying the product's too cheap. And I'm in the room being invited to showcase to these people how they're not listening to each other. And for two hours, by the way, I know nothing about life insurance. And uh, for two hours, they're having very complicated conversations about this. And then we get 15 minutes for me to make a reflection. I said, there are many assumptions that you haven't explained to each other. I think you should spend the next 20 minutes explaining your assumptions before you explain with vigor 
why the pricing is right or wrong. And that was a question to explore what was unsaid. Now, assumptions get showcased when people use absolute language. They'll say never. They'll say always. They'll say precisely. These are very good signals for you to go and explore when they use these phrases. If somebody says, well, that never happens. Your job is simply to say, never? No, 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 no. Absolutely never happens. Oh, okay. Can you imagine or anticipate a scenario where that's possible? Which is what I asked the actuaries and the salespeople in this meeting. Well, the meeting was finished in 30 minutes. They'd planned a whole day because for the first time ever, they'd exposed their assumptions to each other. And once they did, they made a very quick decision about pricing. But because nobody's exposing the assumptions that are sitting behind the conversation, all of a sudden we're having the real conversation. So John, as you think about before the conversation, how do you set it up for success for the business partner to explain it effectively? And then when you arrive, time boxing it or prioritizing it for them so they have a structure to talk into. How's that similar or different to the kinds of conversations you have? I would say it depends. I think that it sounds like a good strategy and it sounds like, you know, based on a few of the meetings that you've been on, sounds like they could have been internal audit meetings. <laughs> Just like, uh, when you ask a question <laughs> and they're, they start, you know, they start firing like, uh, ideas here and there and you know, this and that and never and always. So, uh, I think. That's a, it's a really good takeaway to challenge the assumptions, right? Challenge the assumptions. And you know, that's the, the title of your book beyond assumptions. So, and they give you code words. They will give you code words. They will use these absolute references, always, never, precisely, of course, when you hear these words, that. If you were taking a note, I would write that down in that moment and just go never and put brackets, whatever the context was, allow them to continue explaining it fully and then just come back to it and just simply say, never, <laughs> or use the absolute back to them to get them to reflect on, is it true in all cases? Well, we know business is complex. We know that working in the public sector has got lots of challenges. The likelihood that something is so absolute is unlikely. And I think it's these variations from the procedure or the policy implications of something that is unanticipated, because I think for many internal auditors, being fixated on learning whatever they've said or trying to explain it, that, that's not your job. So your job as the listener is not to understand what they're saying, although that's helpful. Your job as the listener is to help them expose and understand their own thinking. Because when they do, and the internal auditor walks away and goes and reports to the finance and audit committee off the board. Uh, they still run the business and your job as an internal auditor is some cases to ensure some level of compliance, 
yet your role really is this, is to motivate the business partner to ensure that they're performing within the policy, not because they have to, but because it's a profitable way to do it. It's a high quality way to do it as opposed to being some kind of enforcement. It just makes good business sense. We've taken the time to put the policies and procedures together. Are we putting in the thought to listen to the staff about what's getting in the way? I was working with a, a big complex manufacturing company. It was all about safety. Safety, safety, like they had posters about safety first, safety this, safety that. Yet safety wasn't trending in the right direction. Again, they brought me into their executive team meeting to listen to this group discuss safety. And I said, look, before we start the meeting, do you mind all coming outside with me? And I want to walk you into your own building. So we came in through security at the front of the manufacturing facility and into reception. And I wanted them to notice any safety issues in that simple walk, 50 yards. It wasn't very far. None of them saw any issues. So they saw no issues. And I went, no issues. And I said, yeah, Oscar, you know, it's a, it's a very safe environment. I said, okay. I'm now going to walk you through again with my eyes on, and I'm going to tell you everything I'm thinking as I'm walking in. And as I walked in, there was huge cracks in the tiles before you arrived at reception. Now it had yellow tape on it. Uh, it had been marked up and I simply asked. How long has this tile been in this situation for? Well, well, we don't know. I said, well, how long would it take you to find out? Ah, uh, I'll make a call. So one of the facilities executives made a call. Nine months. Now they're all about safety. And I knew because I've been working there for two and a half years that this thing had been there for quite a while. The next thing they had beautiful palm trees in reception kind of area, but they were very sharp palm trees and they were at eye level. I said, do you notice the palm tree? And they said, oh yes, we walk past it every day. I said, do you realize it could poke someone's eye out or worse? And they went, oh my God. I said, how long has the palm tree been like this? And they went, mm -hmm. yeah, we get the point, Oscar. So we go back into the room. And we start a conversation about safety and everybody's talking about numbers, trends, deviations, standard deviations. And I say, time out. I said, do you know the story of the last person who was injured on site? And they go, oh yeah, we do. I said, what's their name? And everybody looked at each other and nobody had any idea. I said, between now and I was coming back a month later, I said, you need to have one of you go and visit that person and hear what happened. Not a graph out of Excel explaining standard deviation on safety. Hear the story. Well, wow, they were bursting to tell me the story when I came back. Oscar, you won't believe what happened with this person. You won't believe where they are in their rehabilitation. Oh, okay. So the 
statistics just became real. You talk to a person and you got the story. Now that's person and that story then became the centerpiece of their safety campaign. And because it was a story, not a statistic, people could relate to it. And over the next 12 months, because we listened to the story and the human impact, not the statistics, safety improved. When you're an internal auditor, have you got the courage to take an executive team through a walkthrough rather than listen to what they're saying? I think it shows you that you're listening on a very different level and showcasing fix all of them there as well. John. Yeah. Very powerful story because it's not about the statistics, the numbers, it's about the story that you're telling and how that can affect change. Right. Because at the end of the day, that's what internal audit is about. Lighting. You just hit the nail on the head when you're talking about, when you're listening to people from the business, your goal is not to listen to what they're saying, because your goal is to have the conversation so that after the conversation, they go back to the business and they are thinking of different ways of doing things, right? Affecting that change. That's a really powerful story. I think that should stick to, uh, that should resonate with a lot of internal auditors. So I really appreciate your time being on the podcast, Oscar, for those who want to learn more about deep listening, who want to get engaged and connect with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Uh, look, I think connecting with me is interesting. The, what will be more powerful for everybody is just get the book, how to listen and improve your own listening and go and improve listening in your workplace. The Deep Listening Ambassadors and I, that's a community of like-minded people. We're on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners in the world and getting the book, How to Listen, uh, where we talk about all these key concepts. We have a combination of statistics, stories, and, and our research evidence there as well to show you how to do this practically. At the end of every chapter, we give you three things to practice each week with a workplace listening buddy. Uh, it's a book designed to be practiced, not just read from cover to cover and never to be used. So over eight weeks, you will change your listening orientation when you partner with a trusted workplace listening buddy. So how to listen, the most comprehensive book on listening in the workplaces where I would recommend you and everyone listening, just go there because there's very simple, practical tips about how to ask those kinds of questions that we talked about earlier on, how to set up conversations for success. And we've even got, um, an extra, uh, part of it in there about how to listen on video conference, whether that's a, a group meeting, one-on-one -on -one conversations as well. All right. Thank you so much, Oscar. It's been an honor. Thanks.